0: To the Crazy Grace Podcast, where today's modern spiritual experience comes alive, an authentic conversation. When I think of prophecy um, or the prophetic gift, I think of two extremes. Uh, the first extreme is probably what most of us in church have been used to, which is guy with a bad attitude. <laughs> the guy, he's kind of like that rough uncle you have, and he's just... He's just a little abrasive and he's, he, he can easily see what's going wrong with you and then he tells you about that all the time. It's no fun. You just want the conversation to be over. You fake falling out. And it's over. Right? Uh, now, in, I, I wasn't raised in the church. Uh, my wife was and there's still like some songs, some old hymns will come on. I have no idea what's going on. I've never heard them before in my life. And she'll tell me about him. It's really funny. I just learned who Jeremy Campbell is like not that long ago. It's just weird. Um, So I wasn't raised in church. Um, I did have quite a few experiences with the Lord before I became saved. Um, The Lord used to come into my room, and um, I would walk into my bedroom as a little boy, and the room would be very thick. It would feel like the room was very, very humid. And then I would just have this sense wash over me that I was loved and I didn't know because I kind of always grew up feeling a little lonely so this feet, walking into a room and there's nobody in it that I can see but I feel loved I feel like there's somebody in the room that loves me that loves me more than my parents even though my parents really really loved me and and then I would hear the Lord speak to me and tell me things and talk to me and everything was always really really nice you know, he never said, you smell. <laughs> when you wake up and you talk, you smell. You need to go to the bathroom, take a shower, chew some gum, brush teeth. You know, he, he never was like mean or abrasive or harsh with me. He always just said really, really nice things. Things that my parents didn't tell me, maybe a lot, you know. The Lord would tell me. And I started to kind of explore um, as a young child this side of God that I was kind of sheltered from. So I was, you know, I never really thought about it, but it was a lot like Samuel, you know. Hannah had this kid, and then she put him in the temple. And to me, my bedroom was like a temple. I was just spending time with the Lord, and I wasn't even saved. I don't know where to put that, like in the realm of understanding, like how you can have experiences with the Lord and not be saved. I don't know what you do with that. I'm fine. (laughs) But I don't know what you want to do with that But it was totally awesome And when I got saved I really just had to find out who Jesus was That's all I had to do And uh, then I was very confused Do you ever I don't know how many of you were not raised in church Then you went to church That first day at church Were you really really confused about a lot of stuff Like why are they doing that (laughs) Why would they wave a flag right now I learned a lot of stuff. And my wife is the greatest teacher of Christian things. (laughs) It's awesome. So I wanted to give you guys a foundation of kind of some of the stuff I was learning. And for that, I want to go to 1 Kings 18 and um, the story of Elijah. And in the preceding portion of scripture, Elijah killed, I don't, we're not really sure if it says that he killed them or they were killed by people he commanded but to me, that's similar, you know. Remember John Gotti? He's in prison. Why did he go to prison? A bunch of people got killed. Did he kill them? Probably not. But same thing, right? So, on that logic, we'll say that Elijah probably killed 450 people. <laughs> um, and the prayer that kind of brought that on was he challenged them, get your God, get Baal to send fire down on this altar. And they prayed for hours, they were cutting themselves. They were going nuts just trying to get some fire to show up. And then Elijah said one prayer and fire came down, consumed everything. Then they killed all these prophets. So that's an epic victory. If any of you know if, uh, you, you know, you wish something would happen like that prophetically at church one day, you know? <laughs> I heard a word and then it just happened right away. It was amazing. And most of the time it's not like that. And the next. Where we're going to pick up is right around verse 40, where Elijah is praying for rain. He said, God told me it's going to rain. After, before that, he prophesied a drought. So he goes to King Ahab and he says, it's going to rain. And then he gets on the ground and he prays. And he's, he's, he tells the, his servant seven times, is it raining yet? <laughs> and he says, no, no, it's not. That is the hardest point giving a prophetic word. When you give a prophetic word and somebody looks at you like this. And so seven times he asks them, is it raining? No. Do you see anything? No. And he's got his head between his legs. It's like, I don't, I'm sure he was praying, but I think some of us uh, look like that. And really what we're doing is going, oh God, I messed up. <laughs> I should not have said that. <laughs> don't know why I said that. That was clearly me. There's no... There's not a cloud in the sky. Why did I say that? And seven times, and then the seventh time, there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. And then Elijah immediately knew, okay, let's go. We got to leave. It's going to pour. And that that's, a lot of time. that's the foundation. That truth is the foundation of what we're doing with people in prophecy. We're not talking about prophesying, you know, these grand, huge words I'm talking about, there are people next to you right now that are discouraged that are going through hurt going through pain and when you look at them you don't see any clouds it appears on the outside there's not a cloud in sight there's no way it's going to rain right now because I've seen their life I've been around them, I've hung around them they bum me out <laughs> you know, how many of you feel, like know people like that, like I can't tell if anything's going on right now and sometimes we need to just get like Elijah and stop looking at him Mm -hmm. we need to put our head between our legs and just ask somebody do you see a cloud yet and it may take 7 or 10 times but how many of you know that when you see that first cloud it's the greatest day of your life when you see this person that you love suddenly you realize oh it's going to rain and it's wonderful. And I want to I wanna take us next to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That really is the essence of what I would call practical prophecy. 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. I think it's like one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. So 1 Corinthians 13 goes, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing." Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And I want to stop there for a minute. That person in your life, see, it takes absolutely no spiritual gift to see sin. takes none at all to see sin. In fact, you, because it takes none, you all have that gift. We can all look at anybody and say, "Sin." It's the easiest thing. It's like it's so easy. But it's com- it's completely different when you choose to believe what's true in the invisible world about a person when you meet somebody who's a drug addict and they're on the street and right then God shows you who they really are and then you believe that and that is something that's very rare to meet somebody who believes that and, and the one thing we need to realize about prophecy and especially any word that you get for somebody is not just a word you give them so that they'll be blessed it's a word that you give them so you will know how to treat them Yeah. <laughs> when I get a word about my wife, Lord told me she's beautiful. She's wonderful. I was like, I know. She's hot. I know. <laughs> and then guess what? I get I have the responsibility to treat her like that. Hey, if I get a word for this guy that annoys me, and there's plenty of those people. <laughs> Because i am I am kind of i'm not particular about a lot of things, but i 'm particular about a few things, and those few things annoy me greatly <laughs> a lot, just so much and um, and then I have to stop and ask the Lord, give me a word for them, show me something about them like you know, and then I am able to treat them the way they deserve to be treated because anybody can. See, there's this whole issue of um, earning respect that we live with in the world, you know, Uh, which I totally don't believe. I think you don't need to earn someone's respect. You should have it. And you should give respect because respect is not about what the other person can do for you. Respect is about who you are. If you have character, you respect people. And, And prophecy shows you that. It shows that before you were anybody, while you were an enemy of God, God sent his son, turned to his son and said, hey, you got to die for this person. That's our enemy. That makes no sense. It goes against everything we believe. But that's what he did. You were his enemy. You put him on the cross. And he sent his son to die for you before you ever know him with no promise that you would. That's the craziest thing is that it's not like Jesus died, and because Jesus died, God said, Oh, good, everyone will know me now. That wasn't it. We still had to choose him. So it's an intense thought that the Lord saw something in you so great that before anybody you've ever known in your family was born, he sent his son to die for you for the opportunity you would have to choose him. So every day when we wake up and, you know, we have that bad attitude or bad thought that lingers from last night, it's like we're always in a sin hangover, you know? (laughs) Got that one lingering thought. It's so funny because in that moment when you can totally fall into everything you used to be, then the Lord still speaks a word over you. It's the greatest prophetic word that you've ever heard, Jesus. That's the best prophetic word you'll ever get. And the Lord had it before he ever even dreamed this whole thing up. The Lord had this great prophetic word. Robert will be born one day, and I have this great prophetic word for him that will carry him on for the rest of his life, my son. Hallelujah. So I want to I give you some tools, some stuff I grew up with in the Lord about prophesying of each other. The first thing is, is that every one of you can get a prophetic word right now. It has nothing to do with your ability, it has nothing to do with anything, really. It just has to do with realizing that you've been getting them all along. <laughs> every day you've been prophesying, you've been getting prophetic words, you've been discerning things. We just call it different things. How many of you can read people? Well, you have a prophetic gift. <laughs> how many of you can walk in and say, hmm, there's a good vibe in this room? That's a prophetic gift. We just call things a lot differently. You know, we have a sense. We have a feeling. Uh, we really, really like this color. on this person. There's all these different things that we would say are nothing. They're just, that's just how I am, you know. But you don't realize that you were wired to perceive this way because that's the prophetic gift. The prophetic gift is always going. It's in every person. That's why in Corinthians, Paul says that everyone should desire to prophesy all spiritual gifts. And the phrase he uses, earnestly desire, which has the equivalent of the word lust. It's an intense phrase, earnestly desire. And I find it strange that the Lord would say, tell them they all have to prophesy. But guess what? They all can't. He wouldn't say that. <laughs> that would be bizarre, you know. He, he, God will only ask you to do something he's already equipped you to do. So here the Lord is saying, I want you all to prophesy. And we say, right, when you tell us, we will prophesy. He's like, no, but I want you to prophesy. He never said, ask me so you could prophesy. See, there's a difference between getting a word from the Lord and your prophetic gift working. One, one is sovereign, you know, you're sitting at home and, you, and it just wakes you up and you get this word from the Lord. And the other thing is stuff that you're picking up on every day, every moment of the day. You meet somebody and you, you just think of the perfect job for them. You think of like, they should wear this. This is a good idea. You're picking up on their vibes. You're picking up on what they're thinking. You're having like these little coincidences with people all day where you're talking and finishing other sentences and all this stuff. These are things that happen normally to everybody, and we write off as, hmm, weird. But that, hmm, weird is your prophetic gift. So one of the things I like to do when I was first kind of, first I had to get over that I have to practice. I can't just wake up one day and be Michael Jordan. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I could. I could think I am. Uh, How many of you know I'd be a fool real quick? (laughs) And so God gives us this gift that we all have inside of us, and then he wants us to practice it with him. We need a relationship with him for it to grow. Otherwise, it won't grow. There's a lot of people in the world that can tell you, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow, that you have this, you know, your dead relative and stuff like that. Well, the cool thing about that is they don't have a relationship with God. So that gift that they're functioning in is in the lowest level possible. So if you have a relationship with God, you will always be more accurate and better at it than them. Because you can grow. They can't grow. That's just the bottom line. They're down here. One time we took a bunch of students uh, from Bethel and we went to Burning Man, which is this crazy, (laughs) crazy place out in uh, the desert in Nevada. And all these hippies and people show up. There's a lot of naked people. It's just bizarre. So there's a lot of witches and psychics and people that have these little booths. So we bought a booth, and we were just hanging out, giving what we called spiritual readings. So we sat down, and um, basically what we were doing, um, so you'll know that this wasn't wrong. Uh, What we were doing was we were praying over people and then telling them what the Lord showed us. So theologically, I'm good now. Um, What we were doing, as far as they know, was they would come up, I would put my hand on them, and then I would just start telling them stuff. And they were saying, well, you were ten times more accurate than that witch or this person. To the point where the witches and the psychics were coming to our booth. They were leaving their booth and coming to ours and getting (laughs) words. It was amazing. And, uh... And the cool thing about that is that these are students who just learned about prophecy weeks ago. These weren't like seasoned pastors, you know. We just we just started doing it, you know. The Lord says that all should prophesy. We all have a prophetic gift. We're all picking up on stuff for different people. It's just we're just saying it now, you know. And it was amazing saying this stuff that you've been hearing all your life. You've been hearing that subtle voice all the time, and you've just never said it because you just assumed, well, this is just me. You know, I'm just imagining all these things, you know. And the truth is, like, a big thing in prophecy is when you first start prophesying, and this is a practical advice I would give everybody, is you're, like, in a room with 500 people, and they're talking all at once. And you're hearing all this stuff. You know, there's several. It's, it's not that nobody hears voices. We all hear voices. <laughs> That's the thing. And so it's really hard to find out who's God. What voice is God? And so the best way to find out is to get room with people who don't know what they're doing, which is all of us, and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's prophesy until we're wrong. When we're wrong, we know not to listen to him anymore. It's very easy. You get 10 people around you. And you ask them, are the Phillies going to win this year? And you listen to the guy who says no, because he's right. (laughs) Not this year. Maybe next year. It'll be good. I'm believing. I'm praying for you. Thank you. (laughs) Interceding. But it's all about eliminating the voice that's wrong. It's totally fine to be wrong. You can be wrong all day. It's okay, as long as you're not negative. See, that's the problem, is when somebody's negative and they're wrong. <laughs> it's totally unhelpful, right? First, you don't want somebody mean talking to you to begin with. And then if you're right, if they're right, that makes you more angry. And, but when they're wrong, you're like, uh, it's just a waste of time. So one of the, the things that I teach everybody is we're not saying anything negative because it takes no gift to say it. We're not saying any negative negative. We're not talking about people's husbands or wives because this is not match.com. This is not eHarmony. And if you're going to do that, at least get paid for it. All right? This is a free thing we're doing. I'm not looking to pay anybody to learn how to prophesy. So this is not the sort of thing where we want people calling out mates, dates. This is when you'll have a baby. Here's the sex of the baby, the date. Listen, we're, we're small time. Let's just learn how to encourage each other. Let them... God will work that out. Let's just chill. <laughs> so we, we, I try to get everybody to go away from that. And just like in, in the story about Elijah, when he got a word, what was the first thing he did? He prayed. When you get a prophetic word, it's not so you can blab it right away. It's so you could pray. You're called to be yes. an intercessor. Yes. So prophecy takes you to the place of prayer. It doesn't take you to the place of Talking a lot Because usually when God talks He says like one sentence And when God stops talking You stop talking And so you don't want to just keep Going and going and going You know You want to You get the word You give the word Maybe you give an interpretation of it But you don't go on and on and on Because then what happens is You're giving somebody Who probably doesn't have training In uh, judging prophetic words And you're giving them the job Of judging the word just like eating ribs, it's the same thing. You, you eat the meat, you spit out the bone. Well, now they have to know where to spit out the bone. And ribs are delicious. That's why I brought that up. <laughs> so so the, the few things that I suggest to everybody, don't say anything negative. Don't say something that you wouldn't want to hear yourself. The worst thing to say is, you meet some guy, hello, I see pornography over you. No, it's not a comforting thing to tell anybody. <laughs> Why did the Lord show you that? Maybe so you could pray. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a thought. Maybe step back and just pray for them. Or what I like to do is I like to prophesy the absolute opposite. Yes. Yes. Because Amen. it's not something that the Lord would not say. You see pornography over somebody, you prophesy purity over them. You prophesy wholeness. Somebody doesn't just wake up one day and start looking at stuff, you know? A lot of times there's a history behind it. There's an attack on the thought life way before anything in action happens. So you want to prophesy about that, and you want to prophesy the positive. And you want to take an offensive. You don't want to just, ugh. Listen, you're going to get a lot of words and see a lot of stuff over people, that will make you spend your whole day going, ugh, you know? And it doesn't matter, because their sin is not the focus. It was never the focus. If God was so focused on the sin, he wouldn't have come up with a great plan. Can you imagine that? Him just sitting up there, oh, I can't believe it. (sighs) I didn't think they'd go that far. It escalated quickly. That's not what happened. You've got sin. I've got a son. That's it. Little demon. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This fly came from hell. I hate bugs so much. So I want to do, I want to do a little activation and I want to prove to you guys that you can all give a word. Um, I'm going to have you turn to the person next to you and give them a word. And I'm going to pray over you first so you feel better about it. Um, and it's going to be good. I promise. Um, and we're going to, stick to, we're going to stick to what I was talking about. Nothing negative. Don't talk to them about spouses or girlfriends or anything like that. Especially if you like them. In fact, if you like them, just move somewhere else. Find somebody you don't like. <laughs> It'll be better. So we're going to do that and and just give them a quick word. And I feel like the Lord's going to show you guys one or two words. And just give them those two words. Tell them this is what you think it means. And that's it. And that's all you're going to say. Sound good? All right. So let's pray and then you could churn. So Lord, right now I just ask God that you would would release the prophetic anointing in this room. God, on each person... I didn't think that person next to me was that awesome (laughs) how many of you got really good stuff yeah do they follow all my rules I hope so I want to end with just a, a couple more thoughts the Lord has put gold in that person and you just found some. You're gold diggers. <laughs> the, the whole point of this is to find that treasure. And there's a, there's a story. I forget in which one the gospel it is. I think it's Matthew. Where he talks about, God talks about this treasure that's in a field. And for that treasure, Jesus buys the whole field. So there's a treasure in that person and your job is to find that treasure and tell them about it because when you tell them about it, it activates it and then it starts growing and what you thought there was like a little chest in there full of like five pennies or something, but you'll be amazed. It grows and grows and grows and the fruit of just you giving one word to somebody can last years. I have at home this Ziploc bag that I've kept since 2002 full of prophetic words that people have given me. And if something comes up that goes against that word, I know, like, what to believe, you know? Because life will always try to tell you, oh, you got this great word about how you're going to prosper and, you know, be fine financially. Oh, that's great. Well, you're overdrawn. (laughs) you lost your job, all this different stuff will happen to try to get you to not believe. And it's the oldest trick in the book because sin is not complicated. There's one main thought behind sin, sin's motive, and it's really, really old. It's like the oldest trick, and it happened with Jesus. Jesus was baptized. A voice came and said, you're my son, and I'm well pleased. And then he went into the desert, and everything Satan told him was that if you're the son, do this. Now, when someone's pleased with you, you don't have to do anything. The greatest relief is when you please somebody. Then you're like, oh, I please them. I don't have to do anything for a while. (laughs) I remember being in high school and getting awful grades and then my dad would get real mad. And, uh, and then I'm like, all right, all I have to do to avoid a beating is I have to <laughs> get good grades just in this next period. And then I'll show him the card, and he'll think I was doing well for a long time. So I get him the report card, and I'm like, here you go. Before I would throw the report card in the trash or lie about what happened, this tiger came. He mauled all the other children in the school. They're all dead. I was the only one who survived, but he took my report card. Uh, uh. So finally I give him the good, and this time I'm waving it. Look what I got. I give him the report card. He's very pleased. He has a smile on his face. He even hugs me. It's wonderful. And do you know what I do? I don't go out and start studying again. No, I go play. I'm relaxed now. I can, I can just sit and ease because I pleased my father. So when you have to please, when you please your father, you don't have to work. When you're a pleasure to somebody, you don't work for it. Right. So the enemy is trying to trick Jesus in. No, but you have to work. Come on, work. And Jesus was like, no, I don't have to. Well, if you're eat, if you're hungry, you should churn this bread and blah, 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 these stones into bread and then you can eat. It's like, no, I'm cool. He was only cool because he believed the first two things, that he was his father's son and his father was pleased. And that's all that matters. And every single thing in your life that comes up, sin or an attack against you, will be about those two things. Whether you please people or whether you, are, you have a father. It would always attack those two things. You could go through the list of any sin. Why do people lie? Why do people steal? They're trying to get something quickly that they can only get from their father. They're trying to get something, and it's attacking the sense of pleasure, the sense of giving their father pleasure, giving God pleasure. So everything goes against that. So when we're prophesying and when we're digging up that treasure and that golden people, we're reminding them of that. That you're your father's son, and that's it. Mm. There's nothing else. There's no other part to that. Yeah. You're the son of your father. He's very pleased with you. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that is the greatest success you'll ever have in life, and the only one you'll need. Because everything else you'll do, the devil will try to get you to, real- to do it so that you'll be a pleasure to your father. But you already are. so today as we uh, prophesied over each other one thing that I saw was very evident was that the father was eager to help you give a word to that person he is more eager than you are discouragement is like one of the greatest evils in the world And a lot of times, people use discouragement to motivate people. You know, I'll discourage you so you know that you're not good enough, and so you'll work, so you'll be good enough. But that, again, goes against the primary lie of sin. You have a father, and he's pleased with you. And so when we prophesy, we're acting on the father's behalf. We're saying, he's pleased with you. That thing inside of you, he sees it. He's not concerned with all the other stuff. We'll work that out. But he's pleased with what he sees in you. So I'm, I'm going to call it out, and let's see it grow together. Prophecy is not a one-night stand. It's a covenant. When you prophesy over somebody, you're in their life, whether yeah. you want to or not. Yeah. You're in it. You can't give a prophetic word from somebody and then not care about them anymore. It doesn't work like that. Because prophecy is meant to be this burden as an intercessor that you carry yeah that's from the Lord. And even though you prayed for them and even though you already prophesied over them, that's not over. You're still going to be praying for them. And as you see life unfold and attack that word that you gave them, you have to keep praying. So I don't want to give this impression that I gave this word, I'm awesome, that's it. No, you give a word because the Lord wants to change somebody's life. And you get to be changed too. Yeah. It's a family affair. Yeah. So this is uh, this is something that I really desire to see everybody walk in. Um, encouragement should be the natural flow that comes out of your mouth encouraging people Because anybody can see, you know, what they're doing now what they're into, but that's that stuff doesn't even matter where there's sin There's a sun, right? So that that's handled so we can concentrate on encouraging them and when somebody is encouraged they will shine for you Because what happens if you discourage them they'll change their behavior just so they don't have to hear it from you anymore doesn't mean they're better (laughs) Just means they look better for you so they don't have to talk to you. I did that for years with my parents. My dad said, you're not doing well enough, blah, blah, blah. And so then I would look like I was studying in my room. I'd have my book open. Oh, yeah, I'm studying. And then he would leave, and I'd be doing something else. You know what I mean? It was just for the appearance. I was just behaving so he'd leave me alone, so he'd stop discouraging me. And encouragement, what that does is it gives somebody the bravery to overcome what they can't overcome. Because it's not bravery that they have. It's bravery that's from the Lord, that the Lord told you about. And then you give it to them. And then all of a sudden, they're just, they come alive. And they're able to do what they would, never could have, discouraged. So um, I, I want to pray over you guys. And I think we're going to do an impartation. Yeah. Um, I just want to impart this gift into you that it would be awakened, that this prophetic gift would be awakened, and that as you go out into your life, this isn't meant solely for church. This is meant for the supermarket and your neighbor who you don't want to talk to. He mows his lawn and then pours the clippings on your grass. This is meant for those people. We'll okay. be